0: Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 88 of the Essendon People podcast, our round 11 review of the game against West Coast, our round 12 preview for the game coming up against North Melbourne. But Brendan, the game against West Coast, uh, I don't want to sound um, entitled or rude or disrespectful or anything here, but I guess that's probably the least excited we've been about a 50-point win in a while.
0: Yes, it was um, a bit of a, a bit of a flat game, to be honest, and I think this review is going to be... A little bit different there because there's there's no real passion for it. Normally, when you have a big win, you're excited, or if you have a big loss, you're a bit dirty. But this has been just a bit of a, a bit of a muck game, and a bit I think talking about it, that's
1: good that, that muck feeling. And I guess to put it in context, we're playing West Coast, who are you know notably struggling with with a massive amount of injuries. They're on the bottom of the ladder. Um, We knew it was a bit of a danger game because they would get up after being heavily beaten by Hawthorne and they were back on their home deck and they've always got good support uh, at Optus. Um, So there was kind of a few factors in there. They obviously came out, um, you know, with a much improved performance, had a really defensive game plan. Um, But I guess pleasingly, you know, I guess putting all that aside about, you know, how the average Essen supporter, I think, felt watching the game. Um, It might have been a little bit difficult to watch as a game of football, but I think putting that aside, they went to Perth, they got the job done. Um, they come home with the four points, which is what we wanted to see. So um, I think if you had have asked us that you know, last week when we recorded the episode, we, we definitely would have taken that rather than an upset upset loss like a lot of other clubs experienced this week. Um, so it was, it was West Coast, six goals, 10-46 to Essendon, 14 goals, 12-96 of so the 50-point win, as we mentioned there. So the first quarter... Uh, West Coast kicked two goals, three fifteen to our four goals, one twenty five. Both had five scoring shots. Um, conversion let them down, and and uh, we continued on a good run of conversion which we've had over the sort of past month or so. And we're up by ten points at quarter time. And I think again you would have just taken that because we were really worried about the start. I know we spoke before the game, just said we need this is the sort of game you need to get on top early and try and break the spirit uh, of West Coast. As harsh as that sounds, but um, yeah, ten points up. We weren't exactly comfortable at quarter time. No, and uh, as you said, their West Coast came with the heat. Their pressure
0: was right up there. They'd obviously been stung with the press over in the West there. So um, I thought they probably played a better football in that first quarter there. I think the conversions, what kind of gave us the advantage early. Uh, two goals, which I think we said at quarter time, you know, if we're a two-goal better side throughout this game, that's an eight-goal win, and it's kind of ended up what it ended up being. But yeah, I don't think it was so much our great efforts, even though I thought we played well in patches. I certainly think it was more West Coast inability to hit the scoreboard, you know, throughout the game that
1: kind of hurt them. Yeah, and then in that second quarter, they had another four scoring shots and went two goals two fourteen to our eight scoring shots four goals four twenty eight. We really could have done some damage with some scoreboard pressure, but our conversion uh, at fifty percent let us down there. So we still won the quarter by fourteen points and went in at halftime with a twenty-four point lead. But I guess the story of that second quarter was that we coughed up some pretty gettable chances, and uh, I guess that would have been, you know, the time to really put the foot on the throat and and potentially set yourself up to go on with a with a big win. But um, not the fifty points is not a big win, but uh, I think we could have been more comfortable going in at half-time than what we were. Yeah,
0: I think, like you said, when we talk about it being a bit of a meh game, like I said, that just, it just sort of happened, right? Like, the game had no real passion or heat in it. It wasn't like one side came out blasting or the other one, you know, it was kind of that. It's just kind of, it just ticked along and then we kicked an extra two goals because we were the better side on the day. And then they went, Rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, and we ended up with you know at a decent spot at three quarter time, but just couldn't um, couldn't capitalize when the game broke open in the fourth. So at 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 time there I guess the di- real difference in the game was scoring shots nine to thirteen, and then obviously the conversion from that. So to be leaving by twenty four points at halftime you, is certainly a big margin there. And you thought maybe with some pressure we Could um kind of get a hold of them in the second half, come out and have a strong third quarter there. But third quarter, I think, was probably the worst <laughs> uh out of all of them. There, they kicked one 10 we kicked three one nineteen. Um, yeah, it was really really just bog average up again <laughs> as a way to sum it up. It did, it was definitely a game we thought, geez, neither of these sides are any good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you think, you know, you think, you know, we're in the eight now and you've had a, you've had a nine, eight goal win, but it certainly
1: didn't feel like that. Yeah. And I think, um, as you said, that third quarter was pretty, pretty ordinary. And then the fourth quarter, thankfully was probably a lot easier to watch for, for Essendon supporters. It was West Coast, one goal, one seven to Essendon. Um, Essendon kicked the three goals, six, 24. So, We had the nine scoring shots in the last quarter. Again, although it was better to watch, it was exciting because it was like down our end. And I think we're all kind of just setting little targets to get to, you know, a 10-goal victory or to get to 100 points for the game. Um, You know, I know that's what we were talking about. But um, nine scoring shots, disappointing to go 33% because much like the second quarter, really could have put the foot on the throat and walked away with probably a 10 or 12-goal victory. Um, and kicked over 100 points for the game and, and maybe at least taking that out of the game. I guess, you know, we still got on top uh, in that last quarter, but and won each quarter, which I, I guess is is promising. But, yeah, factoring in the opposition we were playing, um, that was really what just had to be done, and thankfully they went and did it, and and that's it. So I guess with that, we'll move into the good, bad, and ugly. Do you want to kick us off? Yeah, as we kind of touched on, just a good professional win.
0: We absorbed the Weagles' pressure early. We led it every change. We grinded, you know, the game through to that last quarter there. As I mentioned, two goals a quarter better side, so six goal lead at three quarter time. We had opportunities in that last quarter, as you mentioned, kind of kick that 100 point mark, get a 10 goal plus win. Just couldn't convert, but you know, it's good to just get, go over there, get the job done and come back. Don't believe there was any injuries coming out of the game. Um, you know, we won over start interstate, which is not something that we've done uh, too often in recent years, especially over in the West. It was really good to see the West Coast Bomber fans turn up there. They obviously had the big banner, the uh, WA Bombers behind the goal there. So, uh, yeah, really, really good to see the Bombers faithful out there. And I think um, you could see after the game when the boys ran around slapping hands, high fives, handshakes,
1: all that type of stuff. Um, the boys really did um, enjoy their support. The other one in the good category was that there, were, there appeared to be a, a bit of a coaching direction and instruction, I guess, uh, particularly after halftime. We saw that they were playing quite defensive West Coast, and that was you know, how they were going to try and keep themselves in the game and, and stop a blowout like the week prior against Hawthorne. And uh, I think it, it looks like we saw that. And we applied a similar tactic to what we did against Richmond the week before where we played a high possession um, game, I guess, just holding possession and sort of trying to pick your way through. So that showed a little bit on the stat sheets. We had 133 marks, to their 116. We had 17 contested marks, they seven, and we took 15 marks inside 50 to their 12. So um, yeah, it was it was nice to see. It's something we've probably lacked over the the you know the last few years, where there hasn't been an obvious change to the coaching or the tactics uh, on field to overcome something, um, whether that be positional changes, in players, or just the whole team approach. So, um, you know, for a game that there wasn't a lot to take from um, as supporters, I guess it was good to see that, and uh, another tick for Brad Scott in uh, demonstrating, you know, that he's prepared to to try new things. And I think what's good is you hear that you hear the
0: players there when they give their post-match interviews. They talk about how we don't really have a game plan. Like we talk about the run forward handball, forward pressure, all that stuff. Whereas it seems to be like there's no definitive game plan. This is how we're going to play. This is our brand, right? It's more like they've got an underlying kind of notion of how they want to play. But for each week there will be a change and, you know, like you said, a plan A, plan B, depending on the opposition you're playing and how they're going, which I think is, you know, something that we've desperately missed in recent years. And I guess the, the, good, the perfect example is what you just talked about. We've been, very much a, since they're Matty Knights here, aggressive, run, hard forward play. But that, of course, sees us, you know, get rebounded against heavily, you know. Whereas now we seem like we've come in with a game plan where it hasn't gone our way. Okay, we're going to, set it going all out of aggression, let's take the extra second kick, get extra marks, get uncontested possession, kind of think through, how we're going to deliver the ball inside 50. And that's really been noticeable because we haven't really had anybody stand out for us. Like, there's no Peter, right? Jakey Stringer hasn't, you know, won one game off his own boot by kicking six or, you know, we haven't really won games through standout performances from our top-class players, you know. Whilst they've some of them play good games, they haven't, you know, been the miracle savers that we've relied upon in the past. These sort of games have been... An overall even contribution from the group, which has seen us win.
1: Um, Essendon, back in the top eight. Question without notice: Can we remain there? Oh well, I think we can remain there. It just depends for how long, I guess.
0: Um, St Kilda are probably on the slide at the moment. They've got a bit of a tough run coming home. They've had a easy start to the year, which has seen them bank some wins. Fremantle. The opposite, they're kind of like us. They've had a tough start to the year, but now are in some good form, got a good run home. You'll think the Cats, with their injuries, they'll get some players back, push in. So I think, you know, by this stage, what's the the stat that, you know, one team will drop out of the eighth, you know, from here to the end of the season? So I guess us being eighth, we're the most vulnerable. Uh, But we've got a decent run home, hopefully getting some, some big name players back in the side, and I guess look, I'd be hopeful we win the eight. Look, I'd lo- love if we made finals. Love even love it even more if we won a final. But
1: I'm not not too concerned about that really. Yeah. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think exactly spot on, and I think um, you know it would be more of a frustration to scrape into the eight and not be competitive in finals again than to not make it and to build on whatever we can this year. So I think it's a bit of a cliche, but this really is a week by week thing because, you know, if you don't beat North this week, then you really don't deserve to be there. So um, I think we've just got to keep proving each week that that we do potentially belong there. And um, I think we've done a good job of that so far. I can't really think of a game this year where we've been, you know, absolutely pantsed and, have been uncompetitive where, you know, in the last few years there have been been several games where we've been completely uncompetitive. So I think there's definitely been a lot of improvement, which is good to see for a start. And let's just keep ticking the weeks off and remaining competitive, beating the sides that we should and trying to pinch ones that we shouldn't.
0: Yeah, well, I think that first quarter against St Kilda, we got jumped. It was only three goals, but we definitely were asleep at the wheel, I think. Uh, Geelong, that first quarter, were Hawkins kick six, but that was more a mismatch. Hawkins was going to kick bag that day, no matter who we played on, right? And then, obviously, Brisbane, in that second half, we had a bit of trouble, but, again, decimated by injuries, you know, in a state, it's not... We still had a decent half of football there. We just kind of it slipped away in the second half. So, as, as you said, we haven't been blown away completely for four quarters, which has been an improvement
1: on what was... A bit of a disaster run last year. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the the key there, isn't it? Is that we've been um, we've been competitive at some stage in all games, whereas last year there were games where we were entirely uncompetitive. Um, you know, for entire games, which was which was a real concern. So we'll move into some, I guess, uh, players now. So maybe just break them into positions. So starting with the uh, the midfielders here, we've got Nick Martin, Zach Merritt, and Jack Stringer to talk about. We'll start with Zach Merritt, another captain's game. Yeah. Uh, 32 disposals, seven marks, five inside 50s, five clearances, nine score involvements. Just led from the front again. He's been um, proving everyone that that you know he was the right choice uh, for captain. He seems to have really stepped up and taken that on board. And Jake Stringer, uh, a real team aspect to his game. We were going to mention this, I think, last week when you know he had you know not massive possession numbers, but good tackle numbers and things like that. And he, he's repeated the same thing this week. So 18 disposals, five marks, five tackles five inside fifties and six score involvement seems um, seems more happy to involve others. And then the last one here is Nick Martin, who we all know is from WA and uh, came to us in the, in the supplementary draft period a couple of years ago. And he's just hugely underrated, highly skilled. I feel really confident when he gets the ball that he's going to make the right decision and that, you know, however he uses the ball by hand or by foot is going to be good. Um, Can take a good mark as well. So he had, Probably his best game, I I would say, for the club on the weekend, which is he's not. let's not forget that in his first game he kicked five goals. So uh, this is a pretty special game then. So 31 disposals, 10 marks, six inside 50s, five rebound 50s and nine score involvements. And um, I don't know whether this is starting to get talked about in the media or not, but there's no reason why Nick Martin shouldn't be starting to form part of the discussion for a wing position uh, in the All-Australian team if he continues on the current... Form that he's in, I know that it's you know tricky to get in there. Often they push midfielders onto the wing just to fill up spots. But if you're looking at pure mid, uh, sorry, pure wingers in the competition, Nick Martin would have to be in the conversation as as one of the better ones, I think, at the moment in the comp. Which is credit to him; he's having a, a great season. Well, I certainly agree. I think being able to
0: be a pure wingman is very very difficult, especially in modern football. Uh, I think there, I read some stats there, that over the last five years in the competition, he is the most effective winger, you know, averaging 21 odd disposals and five marks a game. I believe that's, you know, the best out of any player who's played as a dedicated wingman in the last five years. <laughs> and, you know, that's pretty outstanding for a bloke that's played just over 30 games <laughs> in his second year of football. Right. And he's only got more growth. In him. And I think, you know, we talked about this at the start of the year. Brad Scott's mantra was, I'm going to play blokes in their best positions. And we talked a lot earlier about Andy McGrath finally getting played in the back pocket where he, you know, he's proven to be a very reliable player. Now, you know, when you come up against opposition sides, if they've got a small forward, you're not really worried about it because, like, oh, we got McGrath. You know, he's kind of like, you don't even think about that as a position. Like, his name's an automatic selection. And I think with with Nick Martin there, it's, all, and it's another one where it's like oh, automatic on the wing, you know. <laughs> you don't even think about it. It's just, boom, it's there. And with those two, you think that could be for the next five, seven, ten years, that will be the case. And, um, yeah, really, really enjoying watching him. Hopefully we can do it for a long period to come. Merit, as you said, uh, really showing why he was named captain. He had the big big article in the paper in and he really wants to focus on his defensive side of the game and I think that's early on. I think when he won his first best in Ferris, that's really stood out there, about his tackling there. That was obviously in a, a very depleted side in the uh, suspension year. But I think, you know, this is a bloke that's won three best and Ferris and has been twice in all Australian. So it's had a pretty handy career. But I think, Mark, I'll get your take on it. This is the best football he's
1: played in his career. Yeah, I think so. And I think... Um... I think Zach seems to be really relishing in the in the opportunity as being captain and leading from the front. And I, I would argue, you know, just visually based on what we're seeing with body language and things and his involvement with the media and things like that this year, I seem, think he seems to be enjoying it more than probably ever as well. I think he's probably finally feeling some stability that maybe has lacked in the past and um, that's helped – bring his game up as well, and I guess that's probably a small part in comparison to the amount of work that he's put in behind the scenes on his own game and himself. But, um, yeah, really enjoy watching Zach lead the team every week at the moment. It's really good. So
0: we'll move on to some forwards there. We'll quickly touch on Jai Menzies and Kyle Langford. So Menzies with the non-disposals, two goals, four inside 50s. Langford with the 15 touches, seven marks. Of those seven, five were actually inside 50, three goals, two, and seven goal. Uh, school involvements. Um, Langer's obviously had a good day on a the scoreboard there, Mark. Uh, probably didn't stand out as much as his other performances, but I get uh, throughout the year. But I guess just kind of was one of those days where, you know, you're just so efficient. Uh, Joe Menzie, I thought over the course of the year, he's probably been our best small forward. Right, well, I know we've talked on the podcast when it's come to our selections, ins and outs, we've had him out a couple of times just because we thought he might need a rest there still being a young player coming through, but um, it was obviously proven that he doesn't need that. Um, I think he probably needs to up his disposals, get involved a bit more up the ground. But as it stands now, he keeps hitting the scoreboard for one or two goals a game. So you can't really ask much ask ask more from a small forward generally, let alone one with such little experience at senior level. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think, um, yeah, if he could you know, be getting his disposals up around, you know, that 12 to 15 mark, he could become even more dangerous um, than he is. And I don't think sides and maybe even essence supporters don't probably consider him a dangerous small forward, but I think that's maybe the next natural progression of his game is that, you know, if you keep him in the scoreboard, you just gain confidence in in your ability. And um, he's proven to be a pretty good mark down there as well. So I think he's definitely the fittest and most informed small forward that we've got. Um, And he's doing the job. And as you said, in that case, probably doesn't need a rest and should remain in the side while he's doing that. And I, th- I thought an interesting thing to point out was that he's kicked 12 goals for the season, which is only one less than Sam Wiedemann. And probably most, the average Essendon person probably considers Sam Wiedemann, you know, an instant selection in the side. So why should we not consider Jai Menzi the same? So we'll move on to the, onto the back line there. And, uh, the-
0: Obviously, the three big names that stand out of the back line are Mason Redman with 31 touches, 11 marks, six inside 50s and a goal. Uh, Jordan Ridley, 28 disposals, eight marks, 10 rebound 50. And Dyson Heppel with the 24 touches and thirty marks. I guess what stands out there, Mark, is all getting a lot of disposals. And a lot of those disposals come with big number of marks. So, obviously, that, that kick mark game we talked about earlier, those kind of... Defenders who push up the ground a little bit, it looks like they're really getting involved in that game plan. And that's a strategy uh, that we've seen implemented. And all those guys are quite on on the taller side for a general defender as well. So interesting to see that we're looking to control the ball through height
1: and possession. Yeah, and and all these guys are playing with a huge amount of confidence as well, running, carrying the ball, um, going for aggressive kicks and, as you said, backing themselves in to to take intercept marks, which is good to see. So we'll move on to the bad category. Um, I think this section was probably originally going to be a little bit longer, but I think we power through this and, you know, enjoy that we did have a win and that, that we moved into the eight. So the first point will be a bit contrast to what the last 20 minutes of this episode's been in that that game against West Coast was arguably the worst we've played, at least for those first three quarters. Um, it was frustrating at times to watch, and it just felt like, you know, maybe early in the game. I don't know whether it was us having a bit of a lack of respect for West Coast or West Coast just bringing a bit more intensity and pressure than what they had on the back of having to respond to, to kind of all that media pressure. But I, I felt like it took us a little while to try and get on top in that game. As you said, we sort of were just a better side and naturally just, you know, eat away two goals a quarter. But, um, I guess we're going to come up against more difficult opposition this week. Uh, I think North's a fair step up from West Coast, so it uh, be a good test. But given that we had so many games against top you know, four top six contenders, and we we brought a lot of pressure in those games. Typically, um, it'd be good to see that, I guess, consistently applied, um, no matter the opposition. So I know it was a little bit half a game plan that they bought, but that was probably just just one takeaway there.
0: Yeah, well, we we touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know, didn't get the ten goal win, didn't get the hundred points through inaccuracy. there's an opportunity in those last quarters to nail a couple of easy goals, and we didn't quite get there. But um, I guess. West Coast is easily the worst side in the competition, and we conceded 48 inside 50s. <laughs> they had more inside 50s than we did. Right? We just managed to have the 10 more scoring shots. So you would say our efficiency and our conversion is what got us to win. But that's that's an issue when the worst side in the competition is getting 48 inside 50s against you. So, yeah, we've talked throughout the game, Mark, that what we're really missing was Parrish, Shield, Settlerfield. It was kind of noticeable. Like guys like Hobbs and Corwell stood up, and I really liked their games. And they've played well in recent weeks. And it's exciting to see them in the develop in the midfield there. But I guess the the ball did start to get a bit, little bit slingshotty against us in that game. Uh, West Coast obviously had the point to prove there. And I guess what what fires through that is the tackle pressure. I guess only had the forty five tackles for the game. We had four players that didn't register a single tackle, eight a further eight players that only registered one tackle and another four with two. So that's 16 players out of the 23 players, if you include the sub, that generated two tackles or less through the game. That's not sustainable. And it's lucky we've had this performance against
1: a side that's decimated by injuries and low on confidence. We'll move on to the rucks now. Um, we noted last week that the two ruck situation wasn't working and um, I guess the the predicted change that we had and I think that most people have Nick Bryan coming in finally happened. It it happened in circumstances that we probably wouldn't have preferred but you know, there's a out and he's a late call up and would have liked him to have been named on his own merit. But nonetheless he played. Um, but we still we still did get beaten in the ruck, I would say. West Coast had the thirty seven hit hours to our nineteen. Draper did hit the scoreboard, but so did their ruckman. Um, so that was it was pretty much nullified, and and you probably give it to them on the hitouts. Nick Bryan, I thought played well uh, for his first first game in. I, I think he was probably struggling a little bit at times to adjust to the pace uh, of the game. Obviously, having not really played much AFL, and um, I was a little bit disappointed that he was the tactical sub and he was taken out of the game during the third quarter, um, just because it limited his opportunity and development. It was probably right call for the team I think in hindsight looking back Um we needed to probably inject a bit more pace and that's what we did with with Massimo but um yeah I, I, it was just such a good opportunity to give Brian a full game and I hope that he doesn't go out of the side because I think the two ruck situation still works and Draper looks like he needs assistance because he doesn't look like he has I don't know whether it's fitness or whether maybe a niggling injury or soreness but he doesn't look like he has the longevity to get through a full four quarters so I think he needs that help and I'd like to see Nick Bryan backed in now for a few weeks and, and to show us what he's got. Well, I've noticed
0: – you. interesting you raised that point. I've noticed in the past three weeks, and I went back and double-checked it, there's been clips on the broadcast all in the third quarter of Draper on the on the bench, lying on the grass, getting work done on his groin or th- inner thigh. So he might be carrying an injury. There was He was, was at a – one of the scan clinics I think during the week and press was kind of asking why he is, oh, General Solon, if he was kind of playing funny buggers with the media. But it does look like he's certainly carrying something that's affecting his ability to move around the ground. And obviously in the ruck, it's such a physically combative position that you got to essentially launch yourself into somebody else and you are got to cop the knee and it's, it's tough on the body there. So I agree, two ruckmen are needed. I'd back Brian to keep his spot ahead of Phillips. I think um, Phillips over the past month has, has struggled a little bit, perhaps with the, his body himself. And I think this is an opportunity to get Nick Bryan some game time at the level. Uh, I thought he took a really good – there was a really good mark he took early. He was man in front. He strong, held strong hands, you know, but he's 21 – and as a ruckman, he's just he's just not developed physically, and you can wear that because that's only going to c- come with age. But what you can do is expose him to that. You know, like this week, potentially up against Todd Goldstein, very good ruckman to learn from. Next week, you know, the week after a uh, Pitney, who's a you know, decide a long term deal. You know, these are good experiences for him to learn about the types of ruckmen and playing against big mature men, right? And I. I think he's almost at the stage where I don't think his ruck craft or his ruck knowledge is going to develop much more in the VFL. I think he's kind of at that tipping point because of his height and his, his ruck craft, he, he dominates that a lot at VFL level. So he's, I don't think he's learning much from that. But I think now he's kind of got to be exposed to people who are better than him, more experienced than him, and learn some more tricks of the trade that once his body fills
1: out in a couple of years, he'll then be able to use to exploit to his own advantage. Yeah, he's kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, he's kind of clocked the VFL already, you know, like you do when you're a kid playing a video game. You've got to go up to the next level uh, to, to be challenged. So, um, yeah, I agree on that one. Just quickly on the ugly, Dylan Shield, two weeks in a row that he's been uh, laid out with the calf injuries. So that's starting to get a little bit concerning when you're you know, talking about a, a corky or a knock that's hanging around for a couple of weeks there. So um, hopefully that's the end of that. And we see Shield man back in the side and, and take his position. Um, this Sunday. Heath Hockey medal votes quickly. I'll roll through mine pretty quickly here. Brendan, Nick Martin, B.O.G with the five votes. Zach Merritt with the four. Ben Hobbs with three. Mason Redmond, two. And Kyle Langford, the one. I oh, went Martin, five. Merritt, four. Langford, three. Hobbs, two. And I gave one to John Caldwell. Let's take a break and then let's come back with a bit of Club News, a bit of EFL, and a bit of AFLW. Mm-hmm. So we'll jump into a bit of club news now, Brendan. The Essendon Hall of Fame, um, the induction into the Hall of Fame for this year has been announced by the club, has been Darren Buick and Mark McCurry. So two very deserving, very loved Essendon people. Uh, Darren Buick wore the number 8 Guernsey, played from 1988 to 2000, 238 games, 332 goals, premierships in 1993 and 2000, played in the 1990 Grand Final as well. Was a runner-up in the 1991 Crichton medal um, in just his third year. Kicked 52 goals in 93 in that Premiership year and uh, included six goals in the famous preliminary final comeback versus the Adelaide Crows. And kicked nine goals in the centenary game versus Geelong in 1996, which was his first game back uh, from an ACL, knee um, reconstruction. So pretty pretty good, good effort there, especially... Uh, uh playing uh, against Geelong who were pretty handy during that sort of time around the mid 90s as well so um yeah Darren Buick I got to thankfully got to see some of his games uh live as a kid when I first started going to the footy in sort of the late 90s and um and uh 2000 there as well so um yeah thankfully got to see him play live and he was always very smart player very handy player and uh he he bled red and black yeah despite being a uh a small forward there, kind of, he could
0: push up onto a flank. He was actually very good above his head um, in terms of marking for his height there. Obviously, a big goal kicker there. Uh, I remember him being very dangerous in that new classical small forward kind of roving a pack style, but also a very good set shot. to that kind of lead-up mark type player. So he's obviously well-deserved dual premiership player there. Uh, From the West, I believe he played three or four state games for Western Australia as well. So that's always kind of something we've lost in the modern times, the state of origin there. But obviously uh, in the 90s, we're still going going strong and uh, well-reserved recognition to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And the second member is Mark McCurie, who I know Mark is one of your and my favourites there. The number two, played from 92 to 2004, 207 games, 242 goals, a premiership player in 93 and 2000, part of the Baby Bombers in 93, uh, played in the 2001 grand final, was a runner-up in the Brownlow in 99, won the best and fairest in 99 and was All-Australian in 99. It was funny, Mark, me and Dad were on the couch watching, you know, highlights of the comeback game. It was on Foxtel. We kind of stumbled upon it, literally... On Sunday, so a couple of days ago, and we sat there and we like Hurdy, Lloyd, Fletch, you know, Jason Johnson obviously dominates that game. And I said to Dad, you know the player that out of this side here, who I take right now that we need the most? I said, Merckx, Mark, Mark, and he just agreed. He's just we're in desperate need of that powerful, explosive small forward who's silky smooth, like, you know, what is it, you know? Sean Burgoyne's got the nickname Silk. He should be Silk 2.0 because Silk 1.0 was Mark McCurie, right? Absolute amazing footballer, right? It's so exciting, so powerful for a little bit, like just silky smooth. You know, we talked a lot, you know, it kind of reminded me of who, who's the last player we've had like that. And it was kind of like Orazio. When Orazio was at his best, It was like, oh, my God, this bloke's so important to our side, right? And... You know, Merckx was 10 times the player ratio right, so could ever dream to be. So <laughs> imagine if we had
1: him in our current side. It'd be amazing. Yeah, so congratulations to Darren Buick and Mark McCurry on their induction into the Essendon Hall of Fame. Move on to the VFL. So we played Box Hill on the weekend, uh, who were pretty handy, and um, unfortunately we suffered a pretty heavy loss. So it was Essendon 8 goals, 10-58, to Box Hill 15 goals, 15-105. Um I guess they pretty well, you know, had the better of us by a fair margin in most of the stats when I get through all of those. But, um, you know, they were pretty inaccurate as well. Could have really put us away by even more. But uh, our BFL side is a little bit depleted at the moment with some of the injuries and things. So um, maybe, Brendan, do you want to take us through some of the AFL-listed players that played? Yeah,
0: so we only had eight AFL-listed players that played. First up was Nick Cox in his first game back from... Back and ankle issues there. Had the 16 touches, three marks, three tackles. Only played three quarters there. Um, was a bit quiet in the first quarter. I think it was kind of a bit rusty, blowing out some, some cobwebs there, but obviously um, won a few one-on-ones in the second and third quarter there. Um, obviously was playing more of a half-back flank type role as opposed to playing on a key defender. So height and athleticism clear advantage. So I would imagine he's probably still got... You know, three or four weeks in the VFL, just to kind of bring him back. Lewis Hayes, thirteen touches, five marks. Uh, had, had a rough day there, Lewis. Probably you know the number one key defender at the moment. They're taking the key forward. I think, as you said, Box Hill pretty strong side. They had you know the sixty inside fifty, so you've seen a f- fair bit of it and playing on you know an AFL player there. Kane Baldwin. Twelve disposals, five marks. Again, kind of backline under a bit of siege there. Alistair Lord, twelve disposals, three marks. Rhett Montgomery, mark nineteen disposals, ten mark. I really like this pickup. I think we've talked about it before. He's, I can see a player developing that if we had an injury, he could come in and you know fill a hole. Or if, heaven forbid, if someone like Mason Redmond left for a free agency,
1: I think he could potentially step in and play a lot of senior football next year. Yeah, he's probably been just a bit unlucky that we've got so much depth in the back line at the moment at AFL level um, that, you know, people are getting pushed out of out of the back line into other positions on the field at AFL levels. So, um, but yeah, Rhett's doing exactly what he needs. And um, yeah, hopefully that continues and we, we get to see him at some stage uh, get an opportunity of his own at AFL level. So Patrick Voss was the next one, 16 disposals, 6 marks, uh, he kicked the two behinds. Tex Wanganine had 10 disposals, um, six marks, and kicked one goal, two. So getting some shots on goal, young Tex, he just needs to just needs to keep building and he'll work his way back into the side, I'm sure. And then Gary McBride had the five disposals, two marks, five tackles. So we're 17th on the ladder after nine games, two wins, and uh, with a percentage of 85. And we play again on Sunday at five past two versus uh, Carlton at Icon Park. So let's move on to the VFLW now, Brendan. Uh, what what happened
0: there? So it was a Bombers win against Darabin. Uh, Darabin 1-8 to the Bombers 5-3-42. Uh, Darabin were scoreless up until three-quarter time. Uh, and then obviously in that second quarter, uh, neither side managed to score. So I think it was a bit of a tough day for both sides. I think with Darabin there, Mark, they were the super house power team prior to the introduction of the AFL, right? That's, you know, they won, you know, 10 premierships in a row, had all the stars playing for them. I think they're as a standalone club, majority of other clubs in the VFLW are AFL aligned. So all the AFLW players that, you know, do some pre-season training or aligned with the VFLW side, they've been very badly hit by talent drain. So, Um, yeah, it's always difficult to see when a strong club can't quite get it on the park. Um, Major goal kickers were Miro Clifford, the captain, with three goals and six tackles. Uh, Matty Ford, one goal, one. Reece Sutton, 22 disposals, one goal and eight tackles. And Matty Wilson, the 10 disposals, seven tackles and a goal. And then Grace Dicker and Kendra Hill, the other major ball winners, with 14 apiece. Dicker. 14 tackles for the game. Uh, Impressive stuff. So they're fourth on the ladder after 10 games with six wins, three losses and a draw. And their next match is at the hangar on Sunday at 11am versus North Melbourne.
1: Speaking of North, uh, let's take a break and then come back to preview the senior AFL game. (laughs) So round 12 is against North Melbourne on Sunday at our favourite time slot, 4.40pm at Marvel Stadium um, against the arch rivals, the two big arch rival clubs, Brendan, just someone forgot to tell us that they're the arch rival of North, but um, it means something to them. uh, In all seriousness, though, good opportunity to fill Marvel. That place has a good atmosphere when there's sort of 40,000 plus people there. And I know it's a difficult time slot for maybe a lot of people to get to, but um, we're playing some good footy this year and good opportunity uh, to pack the place out and uh, drown out any of the North Melbourne supporters who might have been thinking about attending. Well, I was going to say, it's always good when you play North Melbourne at Marvel because it's always a...
0: It feels like an Essendon home game, no matter if it is or it isn't because uh, Bobber's fans turn up and the, uh, the North fans don't. We'll, well, maybe they do turn up, there's just not that many of them.
1: <laughs> uh this is, in all seriousness, though, a bit of a danger game for us. I don't think North are as bad as what the latter might suggest. They're certainly not a West Coast. They're certainly not a Hawthorne. I think they're a step up from those ones. And they do get up for us uh, every year. They, as, you, as we've said in the past, they're, we're their everything uh, when, when they play us. And um, it might not be the same the other way. And we might not consider them you know, a big rival or on the map. But um but this is a game that they would be getting up for and they haven't been playing terrible footy. You know, they've had a few blowouts through the year, but I think overall they've had they've had some decent games and they played Collingwood on the weekend and only lost by about five goals, I think, from memory. So um yeah, they're not they're not uh to be taken lightly. No, they've got some exciting young talent, especially in the midfield there. So it, it'll be actually a
0: good, decent game to watch. So we'll start with the injuries there. we go through our injuries. Dylan Shield with a calf, a test. Uh, not quite sure where that's at. Obviously, cocked the knock two weeks ago. He's been laid out previous two weeks. So does that continue? Who knows? He's you're pushing 30, Dylan. So wouldn't want to take a risk with that. Uh, Elijah Sardis is a week or two away. He's still coming back from his knee. Peter Wright is a scuttlebutt. Everywhere, Mark, it's on Blitz, it's on Big Footy, it's in the paper that he potentially might be pushing to come back this week. I would imagine if you'd listed as two to four weeks away and all of a sudden you're in the side, Well, that's a bit of a worry, <laughs> especially with a shoulder reconstruction. Surely you've got to make sure you get those right, especially with an important piece like Peter Wright. You wouldn't want to risk re-injuring that and then he's out for an extended period of
1: time. Yeah, a few people were sort of saying, well, it's not – because there were some initial people saying the same thing, you know, make sure it's right, don't rush it, and then people saying, oh, it's not a soft tissue injury, so, you know, it's not it's not the same kind of concern. But I think it's arguably worse because if if it's not, you know, 100% and you fall awkwardly on the boundary or something and then that extra week or two might have – might have helped get you the confidence in it through through training and everything, then uh, I think it's worth the wait. So we can't afford to lose. It's too much of a risk. It, you know, If something happens to his shoulder again, it's going to be season over definitely and probably impact his preseason um, and potentially impact you know, the remainder of his career. So this is not something that we can take lightly. And as much as we'd love to have Peter out there, um, it will be worth the wait if that's just a little bit longer. So See how that plays out. Darcy Parrish with his calf is still three weeks away, so that's looking after the bye now. Zach Reid, same thing with the hammy. Will field with his foot, still a month away, unfortunately. James Stewart with his foot injury, five to six weeks away. We implore the club to please give us some form of James Stewart update to know that he's okay and that he's in a good space and that he's... You know, in the rehab group with the boys or getting back into some training. Um, be good to see. I don't think I've ever seen a photo of James Stewart in the training photos and things that they do. I just want to know that he's still okay <laughs> if uh, someone's listening. Um, Jake Kelly, concussion, another one that's a bit of a concern. Would be good to get an update from the club on that as well. What would we, um, yeah, be a bit concerned about Jake? He's, this will be the third week uh, that he misses if he misses again. Um, Harry Jones and Jaden Davies out for the season with the back and the knee um, concerns that they have. So North Melbourne's injury, list least Brendan, not as
0: long. No, but obviously some handy players to their structure there. Chief among them is Luke Davis-Huniak. he's probably was their best player, one of the best players in the competition starting year. Uh, he's out with a hammy. Charlie Comden is a big key forward there, ankle injury. I guess, you know, he was taken... One pick after Harry Jones. He was actually, remember, we actually went up in the draft to get the pick to take Harry, and that's the pick that went the other way to North Melbourne, and both have been beset by injuries over their career. He's out with a nasty ankle break, so hopefully he can recover from that. Uh, Liam Shields is a test for a concussion. Uh, Tristan Zeri, obviously, big ruckman. Uh, ankle, he won't be there. And then some younger players like George Goda and Marnie, who won't be playing against us this weekend. So we'll move into a predicted best 22 for North Melbourne there. We'll start with the back line there. Aidan Core, Ben McKay, Aiden Bonner, Luke McDonald, Griffin Logue and Aaron Hall. I guess the two big names that stand out there are Luke McDonald, the co-captain of North Melbourne. Uh, very defensively-minded player, strong body, is physical, normally takes the opposition's best small to medium forward. Um, and, of course, Ben McKay there. He's been kind of like his brother out of a little bit of uh, form recently there, but big, strong body and um, will be a difficult matchup. Is a top-quality player when at his best. So they've got a bit of height in that back line there, Mark, with McKay, Griffin Logue and Aiden core plus Bonner as well. It um. Interesting to see how they go against our forward line that doesn't really have traditional. You know, Wiedemann's really the only real traditional key position player in there. We've got Stringer and Langford who are kind of more in between kind of flankers, a bit more mobile. So, interesting to see
1: how those matchups go. Yeah, I'd like to see. I guess we'll go through this in the matchups in a bit more detail, but I'd like to see someone like an Archie Perkins try and take advantage of, um, you know, being a bit more mobile and a bit cleaner at ground level than maybe what these tools can do. So, We'll move into the centre line of midfielders here. So Darcy Tucker and Daniel Howe on the wings. George Wardlaw uh, in the centre. Um, unfortunately, signed with North for a further two years. He's a He was a big essence supporter, George, and um, was uh, famously more happy when Elijah Sardis got drafted to Essendon than when himself got drafted to North Melbourne. Uh, went over and gave uh, Sardis a big hug and, and got around him, had a big smile on his face, which was... Uh, not there when he got drafted, but anyway, um, unfortunately, we won't have access to him for a couple of years. Uh, but he's had a pretty good debut a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then Todd Goldstein in the rack. Harry Sheasel is an absolute machine uh, in his first year, and Jai Simpkin is a is a real smooth operator as well. Yeah, Simpkin
0: recently signed, I think a five year deal to stay at North. He's a co co captain along with McDonald. A real Classy player. Also, believe, was an Essence supporter growing up as well uh, there. So they've got a couple of them in their midfield there. I thought Daniel Hell last week uh, kind of played a pretty good game for North there. I was surprised when I saw him out there. I um, believe he formerly at Hawthorne there. And, um, yeah, played a, played a decent game. Darcy Tucker's obviously come across from Fremantle with Griffin Lowe, uh, experienced campaigner. Uh, so, yeah, interesting to see. The midfield battle. Uh, forward line, Curtis Taylor, Charlie Lazaro on the flanks. Uh, we got Callum Coleman Jones, at centre half forward. I think they've been an injury hit with their forward line there, so it's kind of a makeshift forward ruck to support Goldstein. Uh, and then it's Phoenix Spicer, who's a really exciting small forward, in, kind of in the Irving Mosquito mold. Nick Larkey, he's obviously their big key forward and very good player and Cam Zerhar, who's a, who's an absolute cannonball and a personal favourite of mine. Uh, what do you make of their forward line, Mark? A uh, couple of
1: big bodies there, and obviously Zerhar just uh, just lifts in big games. Yeah, pretty pretty dangerous to be honest. Larky's been in pretty good form over the last year or two, and um, as you said, Phoenix Spicer is pretty exciting and, and unpredictable, and Zerhar has done a number on us uh, a few times now, so um, little bit concerned about their their forward line and I know thankfully we have a pretty solid back line uh, I guess so so, so there should be some good matchups down there which we'll get to but um yeah a little bit little bit dangerous if uh, I I guess the concern is not so much the matchups we have for them because I think that we've got the people to go head to head with them it's if we see you know conceding inside 50s like what we did last week against West Coast um, and what we've probably had a bit of a trend of, of the last three or four weeks when we've played some of those hard sides like Brisbane and Geelong and things like we've conceded a lot of inside fifties um, and not been able to generate the same the other way. So I guess it's going to be about reducing the number of opportunities that these guys get is the key. So we'll round out the interchange bench here. You've got Jack Zeeble, Will Phillips, Hugh Greenwood and Jaden Stevenson. And we've listed Bailey Scott as the sub there. So, Let's move into the matchups, uh, I guess, Brennan, and talk about some specifics. Um let's go back to Zerhar that we just mentioned. He, um, you said, you know, he's a bit of a personal favorite of yours the way he goes about it. He's a bit of a wrecking ball, um, and he's got the ability to kick bags of goals. He's he's done that before and done it on us as well. So um we've listed Jaden laverti here. I guess pretty good size wise. Uh, he can go with him. I think Jaden would have enough athleticism as well to keep up with him and um and I guess what they've both got is probably an equal size heart, um, just their desire to to win the contest. Um, this is pretty much just two bulls going at it. And that's what I think I like about this matchup the mo- most is that
0: Zerha, like I said, he's real competitive, l- actually likes physical contact. And I think Laverde is similar. And I think when you get a player that really, really likes contact like Zerha does, you can put someone who's bigger on him, who's stronger. doesn't really matter. His game's about heart, attack at the ball, right? That's what makes him so good. He can overcome physical limitations that he has against bigger, stronger opponents. And La has similar traits. So I think those two together, that's, you know, very strong. We saw, you know, Clayton Oliver, who's a bigger, stronger man, come in and try to bump. Lav, in that Melbourne game, he just bounced straight off him, and Lav looked at him with a <laughs> with a look saying, "Who are you? Piss off!" <laughs> right. So I can I would love to see that match up there, just those two going hammer and tongs at it over four quarters. Uh, move on to North Melbourne's two young studs in the or oh, three young studs in the midfield there in or Wardlaw, and Phillips. Phillips probably played his best game last week there. Really, you know, top three pick himself, really coming along. Um, so we got. Nick Martin, the sheasel, both smooth movers, maybe can play inside, outside. Uh, Jai Corwell to Wardlaw there, both physical inside players. And I think Benny Hobbs goes to Phillips, both similar in stature
1: and um, clean inside. Yeah, I like that. It's, um, I guess, three young players that we've got against their best three young talents. And uh, theirs probably a little bit younger than ours, but... um... Uh yeah, some exciting matchups there. Sheasel's gonna be hard to stop. Geez he's a good player. Um a lot of people talking about Day and stuff, you know, at Collingwood. But um I think in a big, you know, big Melbourne club um such as us, you know, Richmond, Collingwood, Carlton, those sort of those sort of clubs with huge supporter bases and stuff, I think Sheezel might be getting talked about even more than he already is. So um yeah, excited to excited to watch him play live actually. And um hopefully don't see him play his best game, but um, geez, he's a good footballer. Um, ben McKay, we mentioned earlier, or Mackay, I should say, we mentioned earlier, um, maybe a little bit out of form compared to the heights of, you know, what he was playing at a year or two ago, but uh, he's likely to take Sammy Wiedemann. Sammy Wiedemann's our, our key forward at the moment until Peter Wright comes back or or uh, we get some sort of reinforcements through maybe the mid-season draft or something, but Mackay um, straight to Wiedemann. Uh, Wiedemann been in some good form, just let himself down a little bit with some kicking. So um, this is a good opportunity for Sammy to, I guess, make a little bit of amends and make an impact. He did have a game, I think, earlier this year where he kicked four and um, just chipped away at it and and, uh, ended up with four goals. But, yeah, good opportunity for him. He's proven to be very good on a lead, maybe not so good contested deep inside 50. I don't think he's going to wrestle you for a mark. He's certainly not going to wrestle Ben Mackay out of the way in the goal square, but... He can get out on a lead. Uh, he's pretty quick off the mark, and then just tidy up his set shot kicking. He might be able to have the better of Ben Mackay.
0: Yeah, the next one's obviously big, big Todd Goldstein in the ruck there. Champion player for a long time, and you know one of the best uh, ruckmen to play for North Melbourne there. Um, the obvious matchup would be would be Drapes, but I'm kind of saying maybe Nick Bryan. This is an opportunity. We talked about it before give him a lesson, you know, we've had plenty of younger players, especially midfielders, playing a senior guy to kind of, kind of learn what the game's about, and this might be an opportunity for Nick. I can, though, see very easily the selection panel picking Phillips and bringing him in, right? So this is kind of what I would do, uh, but, yeah, I could see um,
1: Phillips coming in to play on Big Goldie. So we'll move to their forward line now. Nick Larkey, uh, I guess, similar to what we just spoke about with Mackay and Wiedemann, I I guess our key defender now is um, Brandon Zerk-Thatcher. Or I've I've seen him starting to get referred to as uh, Brandon Zerk-Fletcher, which I don't mind. But, uh, yeah, I think he's (laughs) going to go to Larkey. And he's got a pretty big job there because Larkey's a a strong boy. He's only young, but he's a a strong man already and um, proven to be very capable of finding the ball and having many opportunities uh, to keep goals. Yeah, and he's a bit like Peter Wright where he doesn't actually need a lot of opportunities because he's a very accurate set
0: shot for goal. So I guess um, the midfielders and other defenders have got to kind of, you know, slow the ball coming in, get those high dumb kicks, and then third man up in the contest there to help BZT out. Um, with with Brian in the ruck, I guess, play Sammy Draper as a second key forward there, along with Wiedemann. You think Griffin Logue would probably be the match-up they would go to there, um, obviously, um, Phillips, whoever. The, I think that's the second row. The rotating Ruckman is the guy that's going to get like, essentially. Whereas I think uh, Larky, sorry, Mackay will definitely go to Weedman. Uh, and then we talk about their two captains in Jai Simpkin and Luke McDonald. We talked about earlier, both in good players. I would like to see Zachy Merrick go up against Z- Jai Simpkin. Uh, captain to captain, best mid to best mid. I think uh, Merritt's defensive side will uh, will win the day there. And I would like to see Guelphie do a bit of a defensive forward pressure role on McDonald. Uh, I don't think – I think McDonald would probably be more targeted towards a Tipper or a, you know, Davy or a Menzi. That's probably where he's likely to go. So maybe if Guelphie goes to him, we get a, get a two-on-one at a couple of contests there and then eventually Guelph with his physicality can kind of – I think that's a nice matchup from our perspective. I don't think North want the game to go that way, but I think if we can try to
1: impose our will and force that matchup, I think that's a, probably a win for us. So we'll go through our predicted changes now. Um, I'll just list them out all here, out, Brennan, and then we can have some discussion. So we've got Nick Hind um, out of the side, maybe Massimo in. Uh, we've got, I know we've just spoken about Nick Bryan, but um, as you mentioned, we can easily see the club bringing in. Andy Phillips, so that would be Brian out Phillips in. Uh and the third one here, um, Tip Woody out for a bit of a rest and Elwin Davy in. Elwyn Davy, I guess, um, unfortunately, due to the logistics of playing in Perth on Saturday night and then our game being on Sunday afternoon, he didn't play VFL. So kind of disappointing that it, it just circumstances meant that he didn't get to go back to VFL, play his first VFL game and um and find some form, I guess, there. Not not that he was horribly out of form. I think just a bit of touch at VFL level would have really um, helped him. But, yeah, they're, they're the three changes that we could see happening. Um, Hind for Massimo. Um, liked what I saw when Massimo came on in, you know, the, the quarter or so that he had the opportunity to do something. He seemed clean with the ball. His uh, possession seemed good, which is probably... The thing that maybe was highlighted that he needed to work on um, this year? And he seemed to do that and, um, and really added something coming on as a sub last week. I think it's styles. It's what the style that you want with Hind and Massimo. I think
0: the criticism of both is probably they're going to expose defensively. Massimo, obviously, with his height and he's not the most defensive player, and, and Hind the same there. But I guess if you look at it as what they can do as opposed to what they can't do, um, hind is great with the run And Massimo's got the foot skills So you've got to make a call of which style of halfback That you want Now, I think we've gone with Hind This year in games Because he's the more experienced player uh, We've got Redman We've got Ridley Who are quite good by foot uh, So you can kind of compensate And carry a hind Because he gives the run that those others don't um, like we said, I thought Massimo played well last week. I would I would give him the crack, but I can see this being a, a scenario where those two get flipped quite often. It's kind of like Davy, Menzi, Tipper, you know, in that forward line. Uh, those guys are going to get flipped depending on match-ups and how that all works. So, yeah, that'll be the way I go. Davey, I agree with you. I'd like to see him play some VFL football just to get some touch, but the way the VFL side's going at the moment, you know, you see, you know, very little entries getting in the four line. Four lines coming under pressure. I don't know what value those guys are
1: going to get playing at VFL level. You know, it's it's hard to tell. Well, and, and that maybe highlights. You know, we touched on Tex Wang. You know, he had three shots on goal from you know ten or so possessions. I think from memory, but um, you know, maybe he's been starved of opportunity a little bit. Um, I'd like to see Tex maybe play off half back a little bit at VFL level, but. You know, there's an argument that with what Tex has been doing over the last three or four weeks that even he's an option um, to come in. And it's probably a good point that you raise that our VFL team been copping a few beatings lately and the, the guys that are going in there to play in the forward line and guys who maybe started the year better like Paddy Voss and that are maybe getting less opportunities now to to prove themselves um, with the amount of entries that we're getting. So, um, yeah, interesting to see what, what the changes are. Um I guess that runs us out for this episode and for the the preview of the the game against North. As we said, just everyone get there and make it uh, make it a bit of a cauldron for for Essendon and and uh, should be a good good Sunday afternoon. Hopefully to, to end the weekend. Um, a few things before we end, uh, I'll kick us off and just say congratulations to Tommy Bell Chambers who had the uh, the win in the. The celebrity boxing, uh, I don't know what you refer to it as, but anyway, he knocked out Cam Mooney. Um, and that was a pretty good effort off, off limited preparation. So, uh, yeah, good on Tommy Bellcham. It's good to see a uh, past incident champ still getting around and still getting victories. Yeah, he, he did knock him out. I've been diplomatic there.
0: He, uh, <laughs> he was seeing stars for a long time there, I think, Mooney. Yeah, it was was... Um especially after all the, all the talk about him being a big hard man. Um, yeah, I know uh, Jonathan Brown had a few words to say. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if uh, he takes up T-Bell on his offer to get in the ring. And I know uh, this won't happen, obviously, much different way. Class, but I know Jimmy Bartell, a former teammate of, uh, of Cam Mooney, has had a few words to say as well. So, uh, yeah, Get out of Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> and finally, before we leave, mid-season drafts on tomorrow night, 7pm, uh, uh, afl.com.au. Things got the exclusive coverage, so it would be interesting for people want to tune in to say that. Uh, we won't go in-depth in the players like we've done previously, Mark, but what type of player would you like? Do we need a key back? Do we need a
1: Ruckman, small forward, key forward? What do you think you would be the type of player that we'd be looking to pick up? if you asked me a month ago I would have said let's get a key back because we seem to be lacking but I think that that was just a a series of unfortunate events that left us a little bit short for a couple of weeks but um I so I don't think we need a key back anymore I don't think we need a midfielder because we've got a fair bit of depth with midfielders at the moment um so that leaves us I guess with uh I guess maybe a small forward or a key forward I'd probably lean towards I think small forwards we do have them it's just that they're, they're maybe injured and things like that. You know, you think you have got Jaden Davy that's going to come back as well. Um, so, I guess that leaves us with a key forward. Um, Jones is out long term. Peter Wright, you know, he's hopefully going to come back in. That that leaves him and Sammy Weideman. But that sort of third forward role that Jones would be doing, we've got Paddy Boss. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe we don't need that as well. But we've got to we've got to do something. So um, yeah, hit me with a key forward. What's your what's your inside scoop? Oh, for a key forward, I think there's, there's kind of two in the pool there. There's
0: Jaden Hunter, who's I think, 196 from Perth, and I think there's another another big fella from Perth as well, like 99 centimetres, I think he's named Jack Buller. So I think those are the two key forward options, but not quite sure if either of those will be available in our pick. I do agree with you, Mark, that we uh, we probably need a key forward, and that's the way I would go. And Another mid-sized kind of half-forward that could push up onto a wing would be a nice addition to the group as well. But I think come the end of the year, I think we'll definitely be in the market for a mature-bodied Ruckman that maybe replace Andy Phillips uh, going forward there. So I will say, if people are interested, uh, Lunchtime Catch-Up Podcast, I think they've got Ed Pasco on there this week. He does uh, a lot of uh, these previews. I think he's previously written for... Ozzy Rules Draft Central there. He's always a good resource, Bombers man. I've enjoyed listening to and reading his work there over the journey. So if you're especially keen, go check those guys out. They do a great job there. Grant Scott and obviously
1: Ed uh, is really good and knowledgeable with all things draft. So check them out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely a good good pod to listen to. So um, what else we got? Mid-season draft, T-Bell knocking out Cam Mooney. I think that does us for this week, doesn't it? So that we, with that, go the Dons. Go bombers.